Thanks for joining us on this week's Real Life Church podcast. We'd love to know if God is using this ministry to bless you in some way. And if you'd like to share your story or know more about getting involved at Real Life Church, you can visit us on our website at livereallife.com today. Uh, We're finishing our series called Fierce Faith uh, today. And today, um, how many of you have ever been tubing on the back of like a, a boat? How many of you have ever been tubing before? How many of you have ever had a really bad experience with tubing? Uh, yeah, so I want to I show you just a quick video real quick. Uh, I, I just, this is, see, everything's going well. Everything's going well. Doesn't it look good? Everything's going great. <laughs> now, some of you are like, I can relate to that, right? And today's message is entitled, Hold On. <laughs> Hold On. And, uh, you know, I, I've tubed before, and that, that, that's obviously extreme, and you fly off. But, but uh, you know, when it comes to life and it comes to faith, um, I want to just encourage you today on, to hold on. And, uh, you know, there's two things in life that you can control when it comes to faith. You're like, I mean, I can be, control some things? Sure, absolutely. Here's what it is. What you hold on to and what you let go of. Those are the two things that you, can, that you can control in your life, what you hold on to and what you let go of. And so when we look at holding on in fierce faith, we have to make a decision that we're going to grab onto God. We're, we're going to hold on to Jesus in the middle of turbulent times, in the middle of successful times. I don't want to paint a picture every week that the world's going under, because I trust Jesus. He's an overcomer. He said, you'll have trouble in this world, but guess what? You're going to overcome because I overcame. Come on, somebody, right? We don't need to be doom and gloom. And so, but the scripture does tell us that we're living in perilous times. And so we're going to have to make a decision to hang on to God. And we're going to have to make a decision to let go of fear. We're going to have to hang on to God and let go of unbelief. And see, this is what fierce faith does in our life. Fierce faith is going to give you a front row seat to the faithfulness of God if you hold on. If you hold on, I really believe those that stick it out are the ones that win. I don't really believe in this, oh, I didn't feel anything, so God's not with me. You know, you can't base your relationship with God on feeling. That means a lot of men will never serve Jesus, right? Because a lot of men, they're not feelers, right? They don't walk around in this, this, this mode. We don't walk around in this mode of emotion all the time. Right? But listen, listen, listen. And so we have to understand that faith and living for Jesus is not a feeling. It's a decision. And uh, even if you have a great experience, I had an experience with the Lord where he set me free in May of 1994. And it was dramatic, and God did it. I didn't know what it was. It was just the Lord coming in and saving me. And, And it was dramatic. I was set free instantly within 10 minutes of all addiction and all bondage, it just left, it just gone. Now I had to renew my mind. How many know the battle's in the stinking thinking, right? And so for me, I had to overcome some things when it came to that, but, 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 but living for Jesus is a decision. And we have, we, 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 if, we, if we hang on, if we stick to it, if we, if we stay in the, the mode of faith and fierce faith, we're gonna see the faithfulness of God if we hold on. Because we all experience dips, and we've been talking about this, and so the key thought today is this, as we close out this series, is dips don't last forever, right? The valleys don't last forever. And uh, I'm going to give you a couple things on how we can hold on, just three today. Number one is this, how do we hold on? Number one, we have to realize that prayer really makes a difference. 
If we're going to hold on and we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna, uh, operate in fierce faith, we have to understand that prayer makes a difference. Now, some of you think, well, I don't know how to pray. Or I don't know what to say. Well, you know what? You know how to talk to people. Talk to God in the same, it's a relationship. It's not a, it's not a religious, Jesus, thou art the son of God. No, it's none of that. It's not religious. I talk to God just like this. I'm like, Father, this world's crazy. You know it already. These people are crazy. Lord, you know it already. Well, amen. I thank you, Lord. You're just going to bless them. You're going to come in, and you're going to deliver and set free, and you're going to save, and you're going to heal. Right? I just talk to God like a friend, like Moses did. That's prayer. Prayer makes a difference. And I really believe that the root of fierce faith is a consistent prayer life, not just when you need him. Not just when you're in the dip, but all the time. That we can have a relationship with God through prayer all the time because prayer makes a difference. Don't make prayer mysterious. Don't make it weird. I've fallen asleep praying before. Anybody else? I had to learn to walk and pray. Like, because if I lay down to pray, I used to do that in college. I'd lay down and I'd be like, okay, I'm going to seek the Lord for hours. Ten minutes, gone. Don't even know what happened the next day. Sleep. Wake up four hours later. Like, what in the world? No dreams or visions, just, just sheep. You know what I'm saying? I was out. And so uh, we have to understand that prayer is not mysterious. It, 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 is, it, is, it is real. It is us just shutting out the distractions and putting our faith in a God that answers prayer. It's not weird. It's simply God. And you start to pray. And, and sometimes I pray prayers like this. It's real simple. Help me my wife sent me an encouraging uh, meme thing the other day, and she said, when God called you, he factored in all the stupidity. <laughs> I said, well, you're a blessing. Make some dinner. No, I'm kidding. She's not in here. Amen. Come on. She's not in. She's serving in the kids' area. But the point is, it's not mysterious. Habakkuk, you read Habakkuk, and we're on chapter three of this book, and it's been crazy, right? He started with, why God, why God, why God? And then he went to, wait, 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 wait. Now, he's really at a different point. He started to see some things that shifted his mentality. And in Habakkuk chapter 3, it is a prayer that he prays. And it says this, it's a prayer of the prophet Habakkuk, verse number 1, according to uh, Shiganoth. Remember that word, Shiganoth. Look at your neighbor and say, Shiganoth. Look at your other neighbor and say, Shiganoth. Sounds weird, doesn't it? Shiganoth. He says, Lord, I've heard the report about you. Lord, I stand in all of your deeds. Notice the progression. He went from, he went from why God to, to, to waiting to I've heard the report about you. Faith's being built in Habakkuk's heart. Then he says this, he says, Lord, I stand in all of your deeds. Now he starts to pray. First, he magnifies the Lord, right? You always do that in Matthew chapter 6. It's very simple. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be the name, uh, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, will, and so on and so on. You start with praise, and that's what he did. But then he starts to pray, and he says, revive your work in these years. Make it known in these years. In your wrath, remember mercy. So he starts to make a declaration. Now, when you read this, it says, revive your work in these years. In other words, here's what he's saying. Revive your work now. 
He's not asking God to do it some other time. His prayer was specific, and his prayer was right now. He said, God, revive your work now. Then he says, make it known now. He's not trying to, as he prays, it's a declaration of prayer. See, what we have to understand is the greatest indicator of God's future faithfulness, and this is what Habakkuk was learning, is God's past faithfulness. Let me say it again. The greatest indicator of God's future faithfulness is God's past faithfulness. So when you're thinking fierce faith and you're thinking prayer makes a difference, how does prayer make a difference? You're not just looking at what he's going to do. You look at already what he's done. And when you start to look at what he's done all the way back to the cross, now all of a sudden you're praying from victory, not for victory. Let me say it again. I'm going to get my breakthrough, Pastor. I got victory. I got victory. Okay, great. That's great. That's great. Well, you're praying for victory. God wants us to pray from victory. From victory is what happened on the cross 2,000 years ago. And then you start to take your point of salvation and go, here's where he was faithful. Here's what he did. I can count on my hand how many times he saved my life. I start going back through, and all of a sudden it builds faith for the future. Right? Fierce faith is in front of us. So it's not just looking ahead, but the greatest indicator of God's future faithfulness is looking back. So here's the question. A lot of people say, what if I pray and nothing happens? Well, what if you pray and it does? Huh? You can take your pessimistic mentality somewhere else. You need to be optimistic. I'm going to pray to a God that moves heaven and earth. He created everything we see. And when we start to speak the name of Jesus like we did this morning, I really believe God's going to move. I don't believe that he might move. I don't believe that maybe he will move. I believe God was moving this morning. I believe when we declared and prayed that something shifted in your life today because of prayer. Because prayer makes a difference. Faith makes a difference, and it's, it's, a, it's an outward cry prayer is. Habakkuk, again, prayer. What if we pray and something begins to take pray, place? Listen, how you pray is an indicator of what you really believe about God. How you pray is an indicator of what you really believe about God. Well, God might do it if he wants to. No, that's a good old boy prayer. See, Habakkuk's prayer was simple. It was threefold. His was authentic. It was real. His, his prayer was passionate, and it was bold. Those are the three indicators that I see when Habakkuk prayed. He wasn't like, no, nah, lay me down to sleep, pray the Lord my soul to keep. No, that's good for the kids, amen. No, don't pray that prayer because the prayer in there says, if I, if I die before I wake, don't pray that prayer with your children. They're going to be up all night long. You're going, Am I, I ain't dying tonight, Lord Jesus, you know? No, the scripture tells us this. He says, he says that Habakkuk's prayer was threefold. It was authentic. It was real. It was passionate. It was bold. It was authentic. Listen, God's not concerned with the length of your prayer, but the authenticity of your prayer. Just be real with God. You ever seen uh, Meet the Parents? Anybody ever seen Meet the Parents with Ben Stiller? Oh, no, Pastor. We watch all Passion of the Christ every weekend. That's what we watch. Nope. We don't watch that. No, Passion of the Christ in our house. Amen. We watch all them Baptist movies. I'm kidding. Dang. That was bad. The, the people that made the movies. Amen. Woo! All right. See you guys later. Anyway, the, uh, the, that was bad. I'm glad my wife's not in here. She would say something, and if any of you say anything to her, all of you, I'm telling you right now, I will not be able to eat lunch. And you don't want a big man mad. 
But it was authentic, it was real, it was passionate, it was bold. But in, in Meet the Parents, remember, he's asked to pray. He's like, go ahead and pray. And he's like, remember, remember how he prays? He prays through a long prayer, dear Lord, we thank thee for thy loving kindness. <laughs> and he starts to, we love thee, we thank thee, we love thee, we thank thee, you know, and forever grateful. And he just starts going down this long prayer, right? Listen, here's what I really believe about people that have to pray long prayers. You're praying long prayers because you're far away from God. I pray short prayers because I'm close, right? I don't have to, I don't have to, uh, if I want something from my wife, I don't have to go through this long four-page paragraph about what I need, right? No, I don't have to do that. Why? Because I'm in relationship with her. I'm close to her. I could say, hey, we need oranges. Amen. <laughs> I, don't have, I don't have to say like a long paragraph, you know, this is the reason why we need oranges because I'm unhealthy and I need, <laughs> you know, I don't need to go down this long paragraph of why I need an orange. I just need an orange. Sumo citrus oranges are really good, by the way. Just throwing that out there. They're really easy to peel. You just pop the top. Come on now. But it's authentic, right? It's not long. God is not concerned. Just be real with God. Really help. Do it, Lord. Just simple prayers, right? And so it's authentic. It's real. It's passionate. He's not like, he's not like in this passive mode. He's passionate. He's like, revive your work now make it known now he's passionate about this moment of prayer why because his faith has turned and he starts to seeing the god move in the god that he saw the report of when he started he started to see the report and the deeds of god and so now all of a sudden his faith has risen to a place of passion in his time of prayer where he's saying do it now lord then it's then it's bold listen you will act and pray boldly when you believe deeply Come on, man. You will act and pray boldly when you believe deeply. The problem is most of our time, we focus our attention on our actions. God says you need to start to focus your attention on what you're anchored in and what you believe. If you're going to be effective in prayer, it comes from being anchored in your belief. Growing your faith comes from anchored in your belief. Your actions follow what you believe. So how you've been acting up until this point is what you believe. If you've been stingy up until this point, guess what? That's what you believe. That comes from somewhere, right? Well, I'm just a good steward of my money. That's why, no, you're selfish. That's what it means. <laughs> Let's just call it like it is. You know, uh-uh, 8%, nope, that's all they're getting. 8% at the restaurant, nope, 15, nope, 8%, nope, that's all, nope. That's it. 7.34% is what they're getting on this tip, right? Because it's like, it's, there's not that authenticity, there's not the boldness, there's not, the, there, there's not that pattern, there's not that realness in it. And so here's what Habakkuk is trying to tell us, is that our beliefs determine our actions. So you pray authentically and passionate and boldly because you believe God's actually going to do something. Those that are like, well, I'm not praying about anything. No, it's just the way it's, just the way it's gonna be. It's not just gonna be this way. God has orchestrated a thing called the church that's supposed to be the last day's remnant, that's supposed to reach a lot of people, that's pulled people out of hell and populate heaven, and that's what God has called us to do as a church. And listen to me today, it's because, it's right here. It's because we believe it. I believe Jesus can save anybody, so that's why I tell everybody about what Jesus can do. I ain't talking about just on Sunday. 
So, so he, he says here is that our actions are a direct result of what we believe. And we've, we, we have learned in the American church how to fake it. We really have. We've learned how to fake it. We try to change our behavior, but we don't change our belief. Therefore, over time, it becomes superficial and eventually will fail your behavior. But if you focus on what you believe when you go to pray and you live the lifestyle of what the Lord wants you to live, all of a sudden, it's a sure foundation that you're building on. Not superficial that will fail because you're trying to change an action. Come on, somebody, instead of your belief. I'm a fisherman. I love the fish. I never fillet the fish before I catch it. It never happens. You have to catch the fish first, and then you start to fillet it, right? It's the same way in our walk with God. We're at, we're, it, 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 it cracks me up. We're like, uh, we want people to change their behavior, but we're trying to focus on them changing their behavior. Stop trying to focus on people's changing their behavior. Focus on what people are believing. Go through the filter of what they believe, and all of a sudden you'll find the indicator of why they're believing or behaving the way they're behaving. Right? That filter could be filled with hurt. It could be filled with pain. It could be filled with mistrust. And so that's why they're behaving that way. This is where we have to overcome some things in the church because if not, the next generation is going to continue to see the church as judgmental because we try to fix actions, not beliefs. And really, the best way to model beliefs is to model a belief. You want your kids to pray? Start praying. Don't wait till they're teenagers and you go, oh my God, they don't pray. They're not in church. Well, dear God, you came once every six weeks and you don't even pray at your house. Oh, moving right along. Welcome. <laughs> that went over like a lead balloon. Amen. Come on, keep going. <laughs> Tell them something good. <laughs> Listen, if you take time to anchor yourself, take time to plant yourself in God's word, surrender to his will, not yours. Something is going to come of it, and something is going to take place in your life that it cannot come any other way than if you focus on anchoring your belief. Listen, Habakkuk couldn't change his situation in the natural, but he could pray. He couldn't fix everything in the natural, but he could pray. What if we, what if we, what if we just asked? What, what if we just had the faith to ask what if I look? What if I look foolish? What, you know, prayer it can be foolish sometimes. Pastor, you're trusting for Southwest Ohio and the world. That's kind of foolish, don't you think? Guess what? It always starts with foolishness. You think it was? You think it was a good business plan to take a nation of three million and walk around the walls of Jericho? And listen, this is a miracle in itself. They had to keep their mouth shut and stay in unity. They did it for one hour every day. They walked around for seven days, and they had to keep their mouth shut, and they had to stay in unity. They weren't allowed to say nothing until they heard the shofar. Now, can you imagine trying to get that thing happening today? You think about how foolish that was in Jericho's day, in Joshua's day. But guess what? Seven days. Their foolishness through their faith turned into a great victory in Jericho. God came in and stepped down on the walls and stuck them down into the earth, and the people became free. Why? Because it always starts with foolishness. Now, I mean, how foolish is it? Moses, you got the army coming. I want you to stick your tree stick out over the water. Just stick your staff right over there, and the waters are going to part. How many know that's foolish? It always starts with foolishness. So don't ask the question, am I going to sound foolish? Yeah, you're going to sound foolish. 
I sound foolish when I pray. I, I sound foolish when it comes to declaring what God says. Why is that? It's because it's not tied to the wisdom of men. It's not tied to the intellect of man. It's tied to the spirit, which is greater than all of us put together, that the spirit sees things we don't see, so we declare what he sees, not what we see. That's prayer. Number two, number two when it comes to hanging on, holding on in our faith is your joy is connected to your faith. I really believe that this is the demeanor of you when you're in the dip. God will provide joy in the dip. Habakkuk begins to tell us, he's about to show us how we can have joy in all our circumstances. But before we get to Habakkuk, let's read James. James says this in verse number one. He says, count it all joy, count it all joy. When should I count it all joy? And again, he's talking to the church because he says, my brothers. Then he says, when you meet trials of various kinds, when do we count it all joy? When everything's going right. No, he says, when you're in the dip and you're walking in fierce faith, you're praying, you're in the dip, what's the demeanor? He says, you're supposed to count it all joy when you're in the dip. And then he says this, he says, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. In other words, I count it all joy because there's something happening in my life. And he says, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. I looked up this word, count it all joy. It literally means this, it's the reckoning of considering. The reckoning of considering means we are to consider what we are going through as a matter of joy. Now listen, not because the thing itself is something pleasurable, but because God is working in us, he's working for us, and he's working through us. The word count means to consider. It means that we're to consider not the thing itself, whether it's enjoyable, but to consider the fact that God is working. He said he's producing something in you. It has to do with what we choose to do with what is presented to you. We consider it all joy. We count it all joy because, why? He says we know that God is working in us and working through us and working for us. And so some people consider life unfair and life just rough. People consider it injustice. They consider injustice. They consider God is angry with them. Some consider it's God's fault. Some consider that they're unworthy of good things happening to them. And in times of difficulty, we, we consider anger. We go into this mode of anger and we seek revenge and we live in despair and we give up. But there's some people that get motivated and do better. There are some that overcome, that, that, uh, that overcome. Why? How do they do that? It's because in instead of considering it unfair, we count it all joy. Instead of counting it unfair, we count it with joy. We, we consider it joy that we're going through it because God is working something through it. I really believe it's just a matter of perspective. And we can choose to focus on the outcome rather than the immediate circumstances. First Peter chapter six, verse number, oh, verse number six says, so be truly glad there's a wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. 
it is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to you, to the whole world. You love him even though you have never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you, you trust him and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. Romans chapter 8 says, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Habakkuk puts it this way in verse 17 and 18, and the worship piano keyboard guy, you can come on up. <laughs> Habakkuk 3 says it this way in verse 17, though the fig trees do not bud, and there is no fruit on the vines, Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no fruit, though the flocks disappear from the pen and there are no herds in the stalls. In other words, he's painting a really bad picture. And then he says this, yet. Look at your neighbor and say, yet. Yet, he says, even though it's all going bad and I'm in the dip right now, I will celebrate in the Lord and I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. Hear it. He says, he says, I'm going to praise. Hey, did you see my foot start moving? I'm about to, hey. Uh, he, he, he says, I'm going to praise, even though it's going bad, I'm going to celebrate the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. Look at your neighbor and say, Shiganoth. Every word in the Bible means something. And the word Shiganoth means this, praise punctuated with exclamation points. So what he was saying at the beginning of this is regardless of what's going on in society, I'm about to shiganoth. I'm about to praise with an exclamation point. The, the thing that came to my mind was David when he was bringing the ark back into Jerusalem. The ark had been stolen, the presence of God had been taken, and he's bringing the ark back in. And all of a sudden, David, he's bringing the ark, and it says that he, got, he took his robe off. I mean, don't do that this morning. He, he just, he, he, he was getting his shiganaw on. <laughs> he, he, he was getting his praise on, and he was coming in, and he was dancing before the ark, and he was excited that this Jerusalem had been broken down, and, and, and the walls were torn down, and the presence of God was out of the city. But all of a sudden, David had something rise up within him, and he started dancing, spinning, shouting, getting his chicken all on, and all of a sudden there's Mike up in, his wife's up in the, in the, in the window. And this is what she says to him. She says, hey, King, 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 aren't you acting a little foolish today? Isn't this not what a king is supposed to be? Aren't you supposed to have your crown on and your robe walking into the city like you own the nation and you own the city? Isn't that what the king is supposed to do? And David's out there staunch naked in his hands and he's dancing before the Lord. <laughs> he's dancing before the Lord and she's criticizing his praise. You know what he responds with? He goes, you know what, woman? You ain't seen nothing yet. I believe that's when everything went crazy. David was like, forget this, take the shoes off. I'm, woo! I mean, he just, he went nuts. Why? Because he believed deeply that the presence of God was going to change a city. You know why I shigana? 
is because I believe that the presence of God will change a city. I believe that the presence of God in people today, in the church today, that when we go into the highways and the byways and we can... And we compel them to come in. That it's the presence of God as we praise. All of a sudden, the presence of God comes and people's lives become different in the middle of everything that's going on in society. God is looking for a church that will praise him in the dip. In the dip. I love this. It's, this is the climax of the passage in, of the book of Habakkuk. It's the climax. You know a movie, when you get to the climax, you're on the edge of your seat. And you're like, here we go, 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 here we go. Ah, right? I remember watching that uh, horse movie, uh, Secretariat. We were in the movies. And we were watching it, and you know, all gone bad, and all of a sudden, Secretariat's racing. There I am. I'm on the edge of my seat. And I mean, I'm in the theater, <laughs> and, and there, there goes Secretariat, and I'm on the edge as if I got money on this horse. Amen. I'm, I'm there. And here, I don't gamble. Take it easy. So here we go. Here. And so I'm watching, and all of a sudden, when, when I mean, I jump up out of my chair in the middle of the movie theater. People's clapping. I'm like, Woo! Secretariat! I mean, I'm, I'm excited, right? Why? Because I saw something. There was something there. There was this, there was this, this underlying current of this praise that came. Just, I was just, I was like, whoo, God, whoo, look, whoo, and I just, it came, I came up out of my chair. I was, I was on the climax of the movie. Listen, I believe we're coming to the climax of the age. And living in the climax of the age is the best time to live. It's not the time to live in fear because God said in Joel, excuse me, he gets me choked up. But God says this, in Joel, he says, I'll pour out my spirit in the last days. When the climax happens, God says he's going to pour out his spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will have dreams. And all of a sudden, I'll pour out my spirit on everybody. What's going to happen? Jesus is going to break the eastern sky. He's going to come back, and he's going to rescue his church. And he's going to come back for a church that's without spot or wrinkle. What's going to happen? We're coming to the climax of the age. So what's that mean? We gotta, we, we gotta, we gotta amp up and we gotta say, I choose joy, I'm gonna praise him and I'm gonna go forth and I'm gonna reach as many people as I can at the climax of the age. It's the climax. Joy means to rejoice. He says, I count it all joy. I live with joy in the dip. I jump for joy. It's a passionate praise moment. Habakkuk got over it. He was over it. He was done with the situation. He was done with the society. He was done with what was going on. He was through it. He was done. He wasn't through it. He had 40 years to go through this. But he's like, I'm going to praise him in the middle of it. I'm going to shake it off right in the middle of this thing. And all of a sudden, God began to do something great. Listen, it was a consideration to choose to rejoice in the middle of it. Rejoicing is not a description of the feeling we have. It's a display of the faith we possess. I may not feel like it. I may get up in the morning and start to realize I'm starting to get backaches where I never had backaches before. I get up in the morning, I may not feel good. I may be going through stuff and it just doesn't feel good. Listen to me today. Praise is a decision. Joy is a decision. And when we start to praise him and we start to rejoice, all of a sudden God begins to move. I don't rejoice to get blessed. I rejoice because I am blessed. Come on, sometimes your joy needs to be stirred. Come on, sometimes, how do you stir up joy in your life? This is the shiganah praise. It's a praise before the provision starts to happen. 
How do, how do you stir it up? You do it through Thanksgiving when you don't feel like it. I know prayer makes a difference, and I know I'm in this dip right now, but I choose joy today. And you know what, Lord, thank you for who you are. Thank you that you never left me, nor will you ever leave me, nor forsake me. Thank you that you're the overcomer, therefore I overcome. Thank you that greater is he that's in me than he that's in this world. Thank you that you're greater than all things of this earth, that you took and disarmed principalities and powers. And Lord God, you gave us authority over those things. And all of a sudden you start to rehearse that you're, you're my healer. Thank you for healing me of all my diseases. All of a sudden, thank you for saving me and delivering me from my sin. Thank you for, for, for transforming my life. Thank you for healing my marriage. Thank you for bringing restoration in my family. All of a sudden, you start to go down the list of thanksgiving, and guess what begins to happen? All of a sudden, joy starts to bubble up on the inside of you. Some of you, you need to stir it up. You need to stir your joy up by going backwards and thanking him for what he has done. And number three is this. God provides strength to persevere. People are looking for strength. How do I know? Energy drinks. It's a $72 billion industry. Why is it? It's because people are looking for strength in energy. So they find it Monster, Red Bull, whatever, whatever your choice of energy drink is. But listen, it's an indicator. People are seeking more strength. They're seeking more energy. But listen, we try to pull strength from sources that don't possess it. There will never be a moment in your life that you don't need God. Habakkuk put it this way. In verse uh, 19, and I'm closing. The Lord, my Lord, is my strength. He makes me feet like those of a deer, enables me to walk on mountain heights. What was he saying here? It's personal now. Notice what he says. The Lord is my Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet. All of a sudden, it moves out of the ethereal, and it moves into a personal relationship. And all of a sudden in his life, strength begins to happen, persevering. He says, he says, you're my strength. You're my, you're, you make my feet like a deer. Why a deer? Why do he pick a deer? He says, my feet are like deer because deer don't need a lot of space to put their feet. He said, they don't need a lot of space. They're stable in uncon unstable conditions, deer are. Watch them run up a rocky mountain. If we try to run it up, I'm all over the place. Not them, boy, they go right up it. Why? Because they don't need a ton of space. They're stable in unstable conditions. So what he was praying and saying is this. He says, I'm gonna, I need the strength to persevere. And as I persevere, I'm going to be like a deer that I'm going to be stable in unstable conditions. That God is going to, God is going to cause uh, my feet to go up to the mountain heights. Why? Because, because dips don't last forever is what he was communicating. So I'll close with this example. I used to ride bikes as a kid. I uh, raced BMX. It's hard to believe, I know, dear God. And so I raced BMX, and I used to ride my bike everywhere. I love my bike. And we used to build ramps. Anybody else build ramps, homemade ramps? You know, the ones that didn't work and your tire goes through the front of them? Come on, somebody. Flip over the edge. Well, I used to build, we used to build ramps and bikes, and I started thinking about this whole concept of what we've been talking about today. And I wanna put it in this illustration. That in life, we're gonna, we're gonna have a, a, a mountain, we're gonna go up the hill, and we're gonna have a crisis of belief. And we talked about that, and it's gonna cause us to go down the hill, and we're gonna hit a dip. 
And it's a, a decision between here and there is whether or not we're going to wait and we're going to watch the Lord do things in our life and we're going to hold on for as God continues to take us up. Now, here's what I started to think about. When you hit the crisis of relief, it's not the time to stop pedaling. See, because the crisis of belief is about right there. <laughs> and with it being about right there, that means it's just beyond the crescendo and all of a sudden you're going downhill. In other words, the crisis of belief, depending on how fast you pedal in it, will determine the momentum when you get into the dip. So this was the picture the Lord gave me about the dip, is he said, don't slow down pedaling when you hit a crisis. Pick up the pace, seek more, uh, uh, pray more, worship more, give more, serve more. What are you doing? You're creating momentum so when you get to the dip, there's been a ramp created. And when you hit the ramp, come on somebody. When you hit the ramp, all of a sudden, just like a BMX rider, you come down the hill and you hit the ramp and how high you go on the next side, because we used to do it between two, two kind of uh, hills, we'd come down, we'd hit the ramp, and then, and then we would mark off who went the furthest. Well, whoever went the furthest determined on the momentum coming down the hill. So if you want to navigate the dip right, realize it's not forever that God's building a ramp for you, that he's going to shoot you into this next season higher than you were in the last season. So if you find yourself going into a dip, paddle like the little, pedal like the little boy that had E.T. in his basket. Come on, somebody. Pedal as hard as you can. Pray and fast and seek and love and, and serve and give. And don't give up. Don't get paralyzed. Why? Because God's building the ramp in the dip. And as you create this momentum in your life, all of a sudden you're going to hit the dip and boom, you're going to go further than you ever thought you could ever go. And God's going to send you up to the top of the mountain again. So keep pedaling, church. Hold on. Keep praising, church. So here's the progression. I'll just give you my three points in three words. You ready? Prayer, praise equals persevere. Prayer, praise equals strength to persevere. So you praise and you pray and you worship and you praise and you pray and you do it some more. And through that crisis, you just keep going. And I'm telling you, God is going to, you're going to hit your dip full speed. And you're going to hit that ramp and that ramp is going to catapult you into this next season. And God is gonna move in your life. He's gonna move in Southwest Ohio. He's gonna move in our world. Why? Because we're just gonna hold on and we're gonna trust at the end of this thing, God is who he said he would be in our life. Amen, everybody. Amen. Let's close our eyes and bow our heads this morning. What if the dip you're going through right now is the dip that is needed to reach the other side? The dips don't last forever. The difficulty, the places don't last forever. So I just want you to take a moment and reflect. Where are you today? Maybe this moment, you need a, a moment just to say, Lord, maybe it's the prayer piece. Maybe you feel intimidated by prayer. Maybe, maybe, maybe you don't even know how to praise. Maybe these are some things that maybe have slipped through the cracks over the years and you, you just, you've got so caught up in your life that you've missed the basics. It's the basics that help us navigate life successfully. Prayer and praise creates a strength for perseverance.
just take a moment and just kind of evaluate your life right where you're at. Maybe you're in this place and you say, Pastor, I, I need the Lord. Like, I've never met Jesus before. Or maybe you're in this place and you're like, I walked away from God. I don't have a relationship with him. There's no way I can pray and praise. I don't even have a relationship with him. Maybe you're online. That's the same thing for you. Maybe you need to come back to God. Maybe you need to make a fresh decision, a fresh commitment to follow him today. If you're in this place and you say, Pastor, that's me, or you're watching online, if you're in the place today, in this place and you say, that's me, Pastor, I need to make that decision. I need to come home. I've walked away. Listen, God's not going to condemn you when you come home. He's going to welcome you with open arms. Today's a day of recommitment. Today's a day of commitment. If you're in this place, you say, Pastor, that's me. We do me a favor. Just lift up your hand. I want to pray for you if you're in this room. You say, Pastor, that's me. I need to make that decision today to get to know Jesus again. I've walked away from him. If you're online this morning, you say, that's me. Just put the word yes in the comments. You need to make a decision to say yes and come home to him. You've walked away from him. You know, I sensed this morning in my heart that there's a healing taking place in somebody. I don't mean physically. Amen. I believe physically healings happen. But I really sense in my heart today that there's an emotional healing taking place today. You've tried. You've tried everything to try to fix it. You've been damaged. And God today is healing your heart. It's broke. There's a brokenness in your heart through situations of your past. And I really believe today the Holy Spirit is touching that. Let me just ask who that is. If that's you in the room, will you, will you just lift up your hand? You said to me, I know the Lord's working in my heart. I just want to pray for you if that's you. Yeah. yeah. Who else? Yeah, I see your hand right there. Who else? Please, nobody looking around. There's about four or five people that raised their hands on that piece. Let's, let me just go ahead and pray for that right now, and then we'll pray a salvation's prayer for people to say yes to Jesus. Father, in the name of Jesus, Thank you for a Holy Spirit emotional healing today. Lord, we take time to pray for this moment. Thank you for healing hearts. Lord, thank you today from the past or even current word. I just see words that are just damaging you. It's, it, there's some of it's just internal. Some of it's you, you've allowed e internal words to become seeds that have become strongholds, that that's now what speaks to you. Well, today, Lord, thank you for healing that, delivering them today. Thank you, Lord, for washing them clean of that. Thank you, Lord, today that they'll have a new mind, that today, Lord, you're cleaning the filter out of their emotions. Holy Spirit, you are, uh, you're emotional with us. You said Jesus wept. And so, Lord, I thank you today that we can have pure emotions. And Lord, thank you today that you're binding up the brokenhearted today and you're healing them in the name of Jesus, that they'll no longer be paralyzed by this brokenness, that it's okay to move on. It's okay to step forward. It's okay because where you are today will be a testimony of God's faithfulness tomorrow. And so today, Lord, we just release that over our church and over the people that raise their hands in Jesus' name. If you want to say yes to Jesus or you're watching online to say yes to Jesus, just pray this prayer with me. Everybody pray this prayer. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross, to raise from the dead. I ask you to come into my heart. Make me a new creature. Old things pass away. 
and all things become new. Thank you for forgiving me of my sin. As far as the east is from the west, I receive you as Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, I'll never be the same. I'll never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, can we give the Lord a big hand? Thanks again for listening to our podcast. Be sure to connect with us on social media, the RLC app, and online at livereallife.com.